invite you to enter this portal of strange and unimaginable. I simply ask that you suspend your judgment and expand your mind in the vastness of the unknown. Come witness the wonder that is our reality. The truth is out there, and so am I. Wife of a demon hunter, extraordinary tales of all things paranormal. Hello, my name is Dorinda Stewart, and I am the wife of a demon hunter. Hello, this is Dorinda Stewart. My guest today is Brian Allen. He is an established speaker, screenwriter, author. He is currently the editor-in-chief of the prestigious international online magazine, Phenomenon Magazine. Brian has written 14 books ranging from paranormal, poltergeist, possessions, exorcisms, to religious beliefs. His latest book, The Deceptions of Gods and Men, which he co-wrote with Barry Fitzgerald. Welcome, Brian. Hi, how you doing? Good. Um, let's start with a very early close encounter that you had with the other world. Let's talk about that. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll give you an idea how long ago that was. I'm currently 78 years of age, and this took place when I was three years old, okay? And it's like it was branded into my brain. I can see it as if it was happening yesterday. I saw this. Now... To give you an idea, it, would, it must have been around, in retrospect, it must have been around maybe 6.30 in the morning. It was a summer morning. The sun was streaming in, into the bedroom, and I was lying in a cot. That, that's how young I was, still in a cot. And I was looking out the side of the cot through the bars, you know, through the bars in the cot. Now, about six feet away from me was my father's baby grand piano. Now, you know how big those things are. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, the guy, my father was a musician, amongst other things, but between the piano and the cot, there was something standing watching me, okay? Now, this would be about four foot high. It was dressed in a one-piece green suit, and round its belt, it wasn't actually, around its waist was a belt, but it was more like a device of some kind, in retrospect, because the, the, the buckle wasn't a buckle, it was a device, it was something else. Now, I closed my eyes, opened them again, closed my eyes, opened them, and it's still there, it, it wasn't going to go away. But being a kid, it wasn't threatening me, it was just watching me. Mm-hmm. And I could only, I, I could see it, I could see it from its feet up to its chin, but for some reason I didn't want to look at its face. I didn't want to see the face in case it saw me watching it, basically, you know. Mm -hmm. So then, after I realised that it was still there, I just fell asleep, as kids do, you know, I went back to sleep again, and when I woke up, it was gone. Now, at the time, I thought, you know, when I originally saw it, when I was three, almost be a fairy, you know, someone like that. But it was that, it was shortly after that, in the same room, maybe a few months later, I had a, a lucid dream, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if any if any of your, your listeners have never had a lucid dream, you should try and have one because these things are absolutely amazing because you're in control of the dream and you can do whatever you want, literally. You can fly in the air, you can walk through walls, you can do anything you like. Anyway, I was having a lucid dream. Now, bear in mind, this would be about 1948, Right. Yeah, because I was 44, 40, yeah, 1948 this took place. Now what I saw was a UFO, okay, and it was it was huge. Now UFOs 
as we know them, are UAPs, as they're called now. Yeah. But but they were. This was a, a disc-shaped craft. Now this is before anybody knew anything about disc-shaped UFOs. They just weren't there, because I mean, even even the Roswell story didn't didn't come to light till till many years later. Yes. Um, but I saw this thing, this UFO, and I knew it had come for me. I knew it was there for me. And it was only, I would say, in the last seven or eight years, because initially I took the two incidents as being completely standalone. But I then realised maybe they weren't. And this thing that I saw was not a fairy. It wasn't a ghost. It was an ET. And it had come for me. And it had come, and it had, it, this thing has selected me for some reason, for some unknown reason. And, and it's only comparatively recently, again, I was saying the last four or five years, I know I'm going to see this thing again. Ah. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure I'm going to see this thing again. But hopefully, um, although, you know, at my age, you you can see the end of the road coming. I just just, just hope it doesn't have a single end. You don't hope he has a a bad message for you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but seriously, I think that this was an ET that I saw, and I think it was marking me. I think it was recognizing me for some reason. And since then... That's what fired up my interest in, in the entire subject. So you weren't frightened at all. You just kind of—I mean, what was your feelings? I mean, especially as a young child. But curious, you, curious. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So that did spark your interest in the occult and the paranormal. Um, so, um, which you've been doing this for uh, some time now. So, how do you, how do you feel about ghost hunting? Um, what do you, what is your thing about ghost hunting? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've done that too. But mm-hmm. to be honest, Dorinda, it's I think it's self defeating because you get these people that go out week after week, they go month after month, year after year, ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, big deal. Right. I've done ghost. I've got. I've done ghost hunting. I've seen ghosts. I've been involved in exorcisms. I've carried out exorcisms. But then I just left it alone because I wasn't learning anything from it. And you know, I, I didn't think there was anything more to learn. I'd seen most of it, and I, and I'd, what I'd seen had, had had fulfilled any needs that I had in that right. direction. So I just left it at that. So the new tech stuff that didn't excite you, you know, the ghost box and you know the REM pods, pods and the EMF meters, you know, all those little things that they do. You okay. know, so. yeah, okay, okay. I had my box of tricks. In fact. I had a trifield meter before they were actually known in this country. Yeah. In fact, I sent to the US to get it because because that's where they're made, they're trifields. But uh, yeah, so I had my trifield meter. And I had you know little indicators and I had uh, UV um, UV goggles. I had I had all that stuff. Sure. And because there's nothing impressed a client more than you turning up with flight cases full of stuff. And, and when I watch TV and watch these shows on TV, I just laugh. Because the people that are using them haven't a clue what they're doing, because they don't know what the stuff's actually for or what it's measuring. So I mean, to me, it's just for effect. They're just using it for effect because they they can't interpret what the readings are telling. Them. Right, and they go, "Yeah, you have a ghost," and then you're like, "Okay, what now?" Because you know, obviously, they called they called because they had a ghost. So there was something that they wanted to do with the ghost, and they're like, "Yeah, you have a ghost," and so you're like, "Okay, all right, so you have a ghost." <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have been asked to move them on occasionally. Yeah. And, and I would invite them to go mm-hmm. because to, to, be, to be fair, as you probably know yourself, that they can they only get here because we allow them to come here, and, and they, they usually attach themselves to us. Something, and, yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So normally, if you approach them in a, in a reasonable manner, they will go. They, they, they will go. 
But um, on the occasions when I've been asked to exercise, mm-hmm. which I have done as well, um, I don't. It's not some sort of fancy ritual with bell, book, and candle and stuff. I don't. I don't go for that. Right. But what I've found, I'm just going to tilt that forward because I, my chin is resting just on the top of the screen. In the front. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little better. Um, what I do is I get myself worked up, really pumped up, mm-hmm. and, I, and I go and I cuss this way, and I, and I just told them to tell them to get out. That they're not welcome here. To, and go out because they have no right to be here unless we ask. And I just ask them to go and just. Well, I, I say it in very, very blunt terms, shall we say. Right. They're left in no, in no two, two minds that they're not welcome here. And it's worked every time so far. And in fact, twice I've had to do it in my own house um, because, as you probably know, these things can latch on to you. And on one occasion, it manifested in my home. Oh. On the first occasion, it manifested in my home as a stench. And it was strange because you could walk through the stench in and out of it. It was about the size of a 45-gallon drum. Ah, okay. A, a, mm-hmm. column, a column of stench in the front room. You could you could walk in the door, nothing. You walked in, in, in the living room, then you hit the stench, then you walked out of it again. And, I, well, I think my wife realised what had happened. I didn't go shouting about it. I just let her find out for herself. I <laughs> surprised her. <laughs> Surprise, honey. <laughs> So what I did was, it was one night my wife had been out, she, at the time, a few years ago, it was one of the grandkids, she was looking after one of the grandkids, and she had left me in the house, so I, I'd had to get rid of this thing. So I stood at one end of the living room, and I swear to God, this was like a switch going off. The, the stench followed me into the kitchen, so I said, get out, get out, go now, get mm. out, and it was like a switch going off, it went bang. Wow. Simple as that, yeah. And I, I've had to do something similar, in fact, we had another another incident in the house. And the first thing that my wife says, what the hell have you been doing? <laughs> she, 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 no, I said, no, that wasn't me. I know what that was. She said, no, we're okay with that. But I got rid of that as well. But it was nothing to do with me. It was just someone that turned up out of the blue, I guess. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, older homes or things like that, but like you said, they kind of attach because, you know, they're kind of curious, you know. They, yeah. they do kind of follow people around. So... Do you see the paranormal ghosts and the UFOs or the, you know, the aliens as the same? Or are they two different phenomenons? No. I think I think there are many attributes of ET that mimic those of ghosts, okay? Mm-hmm. It's the ability to manifest and materialize, dematerialize, stuff like that, which presumably with ET is, is due to technology. Mm-hmm. But, or maybe not, who knows, maybe their mental capacity is such that they're able to do this, they're able to manipulate, edit reality, if you like, manipulate reality. But as far as ghosts are concerned, I think there are exceptions. That, that when you something see something manifest right beside you, and I've, I've seen that as well, when you, when you see, once you've recovered from the fright, right. um, <laughs> yeah, that you realise that, that there's something there that... that it's almost certain that our consciousness exists on as multi-level. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually can manage. You know, when we die, for example, I, I'm a hundred percent certain that that like it's like thermodynamics. The energy doesn't. You can't create or destroy energy. Only you can only change it in form. 
and con- human consciousness is a form of energy. Mm-hmm. That when, when the vehicle dies, when the body dies, the, the energy just changes form and moves on. And I think also that the, the, the stone tape theory is pretty valid in, in that respect. Where objects, I think, I think if I remember sandstone, it gets quite a, quite a name for this, given given how it, it's, it's, it's it's structured. That mm-hmm. if something happens that is sufficiently traumatic, it will be recorded into the immediate surroundings, and it will replay to if people are sensitive enough to it, it will replay for them that they can actually see it. But as to, as to ghosts that seem to interact with you, I'm not sure how that works because I think that's that's something else entirely. Because although I've studied this subject for well, virtually all my life, um, I, I still don't know the answers. Yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah. I feel the same way. I don't really know really what's going on. Because, you know, being a psychic, you know, I, I, I people ask me and I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. And then sometimes I'm not sure who I'm really talking with, you know. Sure. So they say that they're one thing, but they might be something else. I'm not even really sure about that either. So, yeah. So what do you make of science in the paranormal? <laughs> I had a con- You know, t- two days ago I was asked would I give a... Uh, an interview over a take part in a survey. It was at Hallam University in, in, the, in, the, in, she- in the city of Sheffield in England. It, was, it appeared in a magazine called 14 Times. Mm-hmm. They were looking for people to actually contribute to this, this survey. So I, I emailed them, I got, got some stuff back and, and I said, yeah, and I got a date, then it was cancelled, then it was another date, then, then, then it, we did the interview. Now apparently the lady that interviewed me said that they for some reason withdrew the funding for it. Oh! Just bang! They just withdrew the funding, mm. so so they couldn't do it. Then I think somebody had a word with somebody above her, above her level, above her pay grade, and they decided to go ahead with it. But I, I tend to find that now I don't know how you maybe have not heard these guys in, over over in the US, but you know, people like Chris French, uh, Richard Wiseman, um, are two that, that spring to mind immediately. But they are like talking heads. They always the professors of psychology, and one of them is involved with anomalous um, psychology, shall we say? And they're both university professors and well respected. But whenever they're looking for a talking head to debunk something, mm-hmm. these guys are always wheeled out. Now that, that's a pity, because they claim they're skeptics. They're not skeptics. They're not. They're not. They're debunkers. They exist to debunk. Right. And, and, and there's a crying shame because when people say that to me, if, if, supposing I was talking to somebody like yourself, but obviously not a situation like this, and they were saying it's a load of rubbish, don't believe a word of it, I would immediately say to them, well, well, I'm delighted to hear you say that because you've obviously looked at the evidence that, that you know, for and against it, and you've come to a balanced conclusion. And I'll usually say, well, you're just speaking on instinct, that you just don't believe it. And in other words, nothing I could do could ever make it real for you. Right. And I suspect that, that, that they would just sort of shuffle away because usually when people when people know what I do for you know for, for a hobby, it's more than a hobby. But they tend to um, they say, "Ah, oh, rubbish, rubbish, rubbish." Then maybe half an hour later, suppose you're at a party or something. These guys will come up and say, "You know, when my grand died." And here mm. we go, here we go. Yeah, and, and you, you, you just nod your head and you say, well, you see what I mean? Right. And they'll just say, well, maybe you know, and, and, and off they'll go. But they, they will confess to having had these experiences. But I think it's just bravado that they don't want to be seen to be believing it, you know. 
Yeah, like they're kind of because of the their scientific mind, they they think that they they're kind of that they're crazy. I mean, what what do you think? I mean, because you know, like for me, and I'm sure for you too, Brian, it's like what I've seen. You can't change my mind, sure. you know, because I've seen so many things. So, and I'm sure that's happened to you too. So, I, I make it. I find it very interesting. So so you feel that science is kind of moving away from the paranormal, or do you think they're going towards yeah, think, it more? I think, I think they're getting dragged into it because they like it. Oh, okay. Because, kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kicking and screaming. Into it. It's a bit like the evidence that is rapidly mounting for the existing, but for UAPs and, and validating them. Um, because there's no two ways about it that um, as... What can you say? As the proof is brought out, you know, the, the, the Nimitz thing is a case in point with the tic-tac UFOs and stuff. That, I mean, that wasn't fake, although I have doubts as to whether that was extraterrestrial or not, because I'm pretty sure that our military mm -hmm. has stuff up its sleeve that you, you, you're sure. never going to know about. But having said that, you'll get, what shall I say, old favourites like the Nazi UFO theory, you know, mm -hmm. Nazi UFOs. They didn't exist. They did not exist. They just didn't. And the people, Rudolf Schreiber's one, you're supposed to have built them. There's two, and, and there's Mitha, there's another one. They're supposed to have built the UFOs, which performed and, and were powered up by Vril, okay? No, they didn't. Right. It was nonsense, utter nonsense. And, and it was to do with Nazi ideologies and uh, the Black Sun and all the rest of it. That no, there were no Nazi UFOs. Now I don't know if any of your listeners are going to be reeling away from the from, from the speakers and shocking me saying something like that. But <laughs> if you check out, I bet you will find. If you really go into this, don't go to the stuff that's on the internet. Right. You know, right. Don't don't look at that stuff. Yeah. But go and, go digging into the details, and you will find there were no Nazi UFOs. And as far as the Glocker was concerned, the bell which was allegedly a time travel device. No, it wasn't. The bell, I believe, was it was a plasma generator, and it was ah, part yep. of the Nazi UFO. The, I'm falling in one trap here. It was part of the, the Nazi attempt to build an atom bomb, because believe me, those guys were very close to building an atom bomb. There's no two ways about it. Well, you know, because the show is called The Wife of a Demon Hunter, um, there has to be some talk of demons. Now, you wrote a book called I Cast Thee Out, Poltergeist, Possession, and Exorcism. So, how many exorcisms have you witnessed? One by another guy that I was, I was out with him just to see what happened. Mm -hmm. And I was, not too many during that, I've witnessed four. One that I was an onlooker, another three I did myself. Yeah, it's not something that people usually want to do, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so have you ever been attacked by a demon, Brian? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so tell us about that. Okay. Now, oh, there, 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 yeah, that's true. Well, I have been exercised. That, that, that's also true. Oh, okay. Now, this, this happened at, half, at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was working a night shift. I'd, reti I'd, I'd retired from, from, I used to work for BP. Mm -hmm. petroleum. And, you know, I, I took the petrodollar <laughs> and ran away with it. Uh -huh. but yeah, I took retirement, but just for something to do, basically, I, I took a, a part-time job at nights in, in a food processing factory of all places. But anyway, I was sitting at, at the lunch break at like about half one, two o'clock in the morning, and the guy I was, I, I was talking to, he was of a sort of mystical persuasion, shall we say. Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
he leaned across to me and said, you know it is that you have a spirit attached to you. And I said, have I now? He said, well, he says, yeah. And it's been due to some of the stuff you were doing and you weren't careful enough. So I said, yeah, well, he said, do you want me to get rid of it? And I said, yeah. I, oh, yeah, once you want rid of this. So we went down in, into, into the locker room, which was directly underneath, in, in, underneath the canteen. Mm-hmm. And we climbed over into, into a, he said, come over so we've got a bit of space to move about. And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, you'll need to come across here. So he stood maybe about six feet away from me and, and he, he sort of drew, you could see he was pumping himself up for something. Then he ran at me. Oh. And he, he, then he stopped, bang, stopped dead. And, and he was gesticulating and I didn't, I, didn't, I haven't a clue what he was saying. Maybe he was speaking in tongues, I'm not sure. But he was certainly doing something. Then he, he stepped back, ran at me again. Then he stepped back and he ran at me again. Then he said, it's going. And whatever he said that, I fell on the floor. We clapped, bang, straight down on the floor. And he said, it came out through your left shoulder, didn't it? I said, yeah. Because I felt this like a burning, a hot, a hot, cold, strange sensation just over my left shoulder brain. That's where it's come out. And he said, don't worry, he says, because it, nothing can get back in because I've now sealed it. And that, so that was it. <laughs> yeah, something, something happened. Something absolutely happened. There's nothing yeah. about it. But as I say, any any exorcisms I've carried out, I've, I've, I've done by just the cursing and swearing and telling nothing to get out of there because it didn't belong. But, but I guess as far as entities attaching themselves to me, I, will, I would think that what I just told you about that, that stench that, that manifested in the living room of my house, that was something that got attached to me and, and ended up in the house. Yeah. Yep. So it sounds a little bit different than what you see in the movies, right? With all the, you know, like <laughs> all the religious stuff, you know, throwing holy water and everybody screaming and stuff. So it's a little bit different. No, you, you can't take too much away from that because the ritual Romanum, which as you possibly know, is, is the Latin, the ritual mm-hmm. Latin, Catholic Latin yes. service of exorcism. Well, the strange thing with the ritual Romanum, or the Roman ritual, is that in the 1960s, they decided that the Catholic Church decided that they would sort of tidy things up a little bit, and the Tridentine Mass was done away with, and and this this outraged some of the really conservative Catholics. But the thing, the other thing is that although when the Tridentine Mass was cancelled, and they, they they said, well, you can say the Mass in, in whatever language the country happens to have it as its, its own language, and that will be fine because in effect it's the same thing. What was not changed was the wording of the ritual Romanum. That was, that was they insisted that was kept in Latin, and I believe I know why. I think because over the centuries, millennia really, that the ritual Romanum, the wording of it had, a, had was actually a form of power in itself that had attracted power to itself because of its use in that particular context. So that I believe that that was why the, the wording of the ritual Romanum was not changed. In fact. Films like The Exorcist, although they didn't actually, what they used was an anglicised version of the ritual Romanum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know when, 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 when the priest, the two priests that are c- conducting the exorcism on the little girl, you know, in, in a room, that uh, at one time the, the head exorcist of the Catholic Church actually said, his, his name just slipped out of my mind just now, he's, 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 he's deceased now, the guy's dead. Father Mort? Yes, Father Amor. Okay. That, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's it, Father Amor. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, that he actually recommended that any aspiring Catholic priest 
who wanted to be an, an exorcist should watch that film because he says that is the closest thing you're ever going to see to a real good going exorcism because I know that when I first saw that film it scared the bejesus out sure I think everyone right <laughs> did me too <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so um, how do you feel about Malachi Martin Malachi Martin I think Father Malachi um, I think he was a bit of a con man Okay. So that that, that is that, that is my impression. I've, I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've seen him on YouTube. Well, not on YouTube. But I've seen him, you know, on TV. You can you can, you can get stuff they did online, and I think that, that he manipulated a lot of stuff for his own benefit. And I th- like I said, I think he was a bit of a con man. Although I think he started off. In fact, how how did he put it? It was accused that, that he left the Jesuits, but he said the Jesuits left him. Sure. It was the way he, the way he put it. And um, because cause the Jesuits always have an agenda about something. There's all, there used to be, uh, I think during in medieval times, when there was a lot of you know, political wrangling between the Catholic Church and everybody else, mm-hmm. you could always say, if anything happened, they always said, keep your eyes out, there'll be a Jesuit somewhere. You know, <laughs> in the background somewhere. Yeah. You know. yeah, because the Jesuits very politically motivated. It's a bit like Opus Dei, you know, God's work. Mm-hmm. If you like, they always, God's work or Opus Dei tend to be right-wing and, and they claim that the Jesuits are very left-wing, if you can imagine sure. that. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But I know that there's certainly, there may even still be a lot of wrangling Mm-hmm. The, the, the Pope's here, because whoever whoever controls the Pope controls the Church. Right, right. And, and I know the Jesuits traditionally have always been the the, 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 the right hand of the, of the papacy, but um, I'm pretty sure that Pope's uh, D, although although the, the, maybe 10, 15 years ago that this came to the fore, but they seem to have drifted off again just. Everyone's calmed down, but the Jesuits are still very much with us, obviously. That's good. That's good because you know things seem to be amping up with yeah. uh, um, the, the the demonic. Okay, so you received a Tartan Skull Award. Now, what is that fact, exactly? I'll show, I'll show you. I'll okay. Show you. It, sits, it sits right in one little note. <laughs> and here it is. Yeah. Oh, look at that! It's like a skull. Yeah. It's a skull. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> to be or not to be. <laughs> that's what you look like there, Brian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and that's that's in Scotland. So that's a pretty prestigious award. And what what did you receive it for? Well, Scotland's not a big country, obviously, and um, I've just been around the, the, the UFO paranormal scene for a long time, a long time, and. I know most of the people who are involved in Scotland or, or, or where. Mm-hmm. I think you've got an up-and-coming guys because everybody, everybody falls off eventually. And I think it was just... It was an, I used to belong to an outfit called SBI, Strange Phenomenon Investigations. Okay. And they ran it in Scotland for a while. And then I just dropped out of that. And the founder, of a guy called Malcolm Robinson, who actually founded SBI, um, I think he... They they were they they'd taken up the the, the 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 cudgels and they were actually running an annual conference, and I was asked along, you know, would I like to come along to this conference? And I was saying, why? 
they go, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, bring your books, you can sell your books and still, you know, and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And then I from the stage that I had won the award. So I was going, really? If it's all fine, okay. So I went and got the award, said a few words, and sat down. Then I thought, well, that was, that was really nice of them. That was really good of them because I've never gone out of my way to attract attention to what I did. But obviously people noticed what I did and they seemed to approve of what I did. And it was like your, your peers recognising the fact and, and that they were awarding you for your, you know, for your contribution to the subject, basically, I think, you know. So it's pretty nice. Okay, so you are the editor-in-chief of Phenomenon magazine. Yeah, yeah. And so... Phenomena, phenomena magazine. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, and um, I know um, I'm familiar with the columns letter from Letters from America. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> my husband writes for that. But um, I just wanted to um, just go and let people know about the magazine. Now you said something about you can get some back issues, and then you can um, just go to www.phenomenamagazine, all one word. Dot co.uk and they can get the magazine there as well yep well what you'll you know you'll obviously get the, 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 that month's issue that, that's the first thing that's going to come up when you scroll down that month's issue will be there and um it's you can just go onto the back you can download just click on the click on the magazine it'll you'll download it on your desktop but you can also go into the back issues. I mean, there's nine years worth of magazines. Ah, yes, nice. Nine years worth. You can download any or all of them. They're absolutely free. That's and nice. I, I must say, in the last, well, I've been editing for the, for the roughly nine years I've been editing it. I, I used to edit a magazine called Paranormal, and that was a newsstand magazine. Uh -huh. And um, during the recession, when the recession hit about... 10, 9, 10 years ago, the guy who owned it, uh, although he was a millionaire, he couldn't, he couldn't keep flinging money at this because he just wasn't selling enough magazines to justify the cost of printing it, basically. So it was running at a loss, so eventually he just shut it down. And the, the phenomenon at the time was being was being edited by, by its owner, by the guy that created it, Steve Mirror. Obviously, you know Steve? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and Steve heard about what I was doing because I, I'd approached him and said, look, Steve, do you want any books editing? Okay, well, not editing, but, but, but um, reviewing. Mm -hmm. He says, yeah. So I did a couple of that. Then he said, look, he, did, he knew what I did. So he said, how would you like to come on board the magazine as the sub-editor? I said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. So I did that for maybe six months. Then he said, look, he said, I like what you're doing. Do you want to be the editor? So I could just, I could then, I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> Because Steve had, a, he had other strings to his bow, quite a He was doing a lot of other things. And the magazine was a bit of a, it was a bit of a nuisance to him because he, he, because he had to concentrate on that and he had to concentrate on his other interests as well, which is a bit of a pity. But anyway, for the, I would say for the past eight and three quarter years, more or less, I've been editing the magazine. And we're, we're lucky because it's just gone from strength to strength. And we've been also been very fortunate in the designers we've had for the magazine. Steve used to do the whole thing as well as, you know, assembling the stuff, mm -hmm. doing, doing the proofreading and all the rest. But he actually used to assemble it. We've got a guy called Dave Partridge right now, and Dave is the best, one of the best designers I've ever seen because the magazine is just mega professional. It just looks, it looks very nice. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you do have an upcoming book called Book of Secrets that's coming out in November, right? So that will be your fifteenth book. That'll be the fourteenth book. Okay. But, okay. but the book we've just brought out, which is, uh, as I said, is. Um, 
the, the deceptions of gods and men. This is again a bit of a tale to it that the book wasn't my idea, but I'm very friend become become very friend with Barry Barry Fitzgerald. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and we've been across to Ireland and stayed with him. They've been across to Scotland and stayed with us, and we got on very well indeed. Plus the fact is our writing styles are very similar, and we've both got a lot of experience in in the UFO paranormal game, and we're also prepared to look at go into places that you wouldn't normally go into, you know, yeah. if you think about this, because the Deceptions of Gods and Men is about, and we, we can't find any other name to describe it as them, them, okay? We don't know what they look like, we don't know what they are, because they're shapeshifters. They were here before we were, they've always been here, but they exist in void, okay, on the other side of reality. Mm-hmm. And they, as I said, are complete and absolute perfect shapeshifters. They want to exist in the physical world, but to do it, they've got to have a host, host. a mm-hmm. machine to do it in. And those hosts are us, okay? Yes. And when we die, when a, when the physical body dies, when the machine dies, you know, they can only hang about a little while, and unless they can latch onto another human being, they go back to the void, they, they slip back into the void again. And there they stayed till, till, till you know, till, till the reemerge. You know, they're actually brought back through somebody messing around with us, if you like. Perhaps that thing that came back with me might have been them, because, mm-hmm. because it, there's an old saying that um, battle not with monsters, lest you become a monster. But if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. That was, that was Nietzsche that actually said that. And if you do gaze into the abyss, by God, it doesn't gaze back into you. And sometimes, if it sees you. It'll make itself known that it's secret and you're bringing it across. So perhaps unwittingly Nietzsche was actually talking about them. But as far as we believe, or Barry and I believe, that ultimately they're looking for the perfect way or the perfect manner in which to exist full time in this reality. And I don't uh. care much how they do it. So I believe, and I'm well, I'm well aware of the time because I see it count. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Cause we, yeah. I, I believe what they're trying to do is create a form of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. that will allow them to do it. Because that is the only thing that, that, that can outlast a human being. So so once we, and I think that we are actually being encouraged and prompted from behind the scenes by them to keep on doing this, to actually create an artificial intelligence. Because once they get one that is self-aware, that is intelligent, that, that can function like a human brain, they've made it because that, 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 that doesn't die. That just stays right. alive. Right. They stay alive more or less indefinitely. So that, that's what the, the inceptions of God's and men's all about, really. And that's I, I know that it's on Amazon and it's on Walmart.com. I looked that up here in the United States. So you can get it here in the United States. The Deception of Gods and Men by um, Brian Allen and Barry Fitzgerald. Okay. So, Brian, thank you for sharing all your knowledge with us of the strange and unusual. Until next time, this is Dorinda Stewart, the wife of a demon hunter.